Shabbat Shalom. It's been a great week, a very busy week. In fact, it's been a busy month getting ready for this uh, last week that we've entered into. And so, super excited about that. We're in series, uh, a series on Passover. This is uh, four in a series. And we've titled this 50 Days to Transformation. So within the Holy Week of Passover, we have this task to accomplish that inextricably ties together two great festivals, Passover and Pentecost. We're commanded to count for 50 days, which brings us to Pentecost. It is as if God is saying, I've brought you out of Egypt in order to bring you into the promised land. Now, if he brought our ancestors out of the slavery of Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land, what would that mean for us today under the second and greater exodus in the Messiah? And what would that mean under the second and greater Pentecost that we find in Acts chapter 2 due to Messiah? All of this is screaming out the concept called transformation. The 50-day journey is a journey of transformation from slavery to freedom. So let's join the expedition of transformation in our counting of the Omer. In fact, I want to I encourage you to make sure you get a calendar. Get the readings. Take this 50-day period and really focus on what the Lord is doing in your heart, in your life, and that next level of transformation that he's wanting to bring about. Transformation comes in cycles. It's incremental. It moves forward. And so we go from one phase to the next to the next. This is the plan of God in redeeming us and bringing us out of our own personal Egypts of sin and shame. So let's talk about this. And I want to give us the context of Passover and why it's so important. In fact, why Passover is to be kept by the New Covenant Jews and the New Covenant Gentiles in Messiah is important for us to understand. The church for the last 2,000 years not only separated itself from the Jewish people, it also rejected the law of God as a way of life. They began to misunderstand the phrase of Paul that we're no longer under the law, but under grace as an abandonment or a freedom from the law. And as they disengaged from the law, they had to go and recreate new celebrations that oftentimes were mixed with paganism that obscured the meaning and purpose of Yeshua's life, death, and resurrection. We're returning to the roots of our faith. We're returning to these ancient paths. And it's within that context that we begin to see clearly the glory of Jesus, who he is, what he did, and what that means for us. So I'm going to give you a passage in 1 Corinthians that most, most, I, I, I want to be careful. I want to, I want to say that um, I don't want to judge intents of the heart, but I want to say that passages like these are not given much traction in most churches. And we need to give it traction. Very important. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul basically admonishes 
not only Messianic Jews, he admonishes Messianic Gentiles to keep the week of Passover, post-resurrection. Now that is a different view of Paul than the view that's painted for us today, that Paul liberated us from the law. Well, if he did, why is he saying to keep this Old Testament Passover? Isn't that interesting? Let's read about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6 through 8. It says, Your boasting is not good, speaking to his community, the community at Corinth. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Now that phraseology, leaven, and leavening the whole lump of dough, in the Jewish ear, everyone understands. He's talking about the festival of unleavened bread, Leviticus 23, which actually is the festival of Passover. So the Jewish ears perked um, and understands what that's all about. The Gentiles, they're learning. They're discovering it. He goes on to say, clean out the old leaven. Why? That's what Moses said. Get the leaven out of your homes. Wait till the first day, get the leaven out. Leaven is a symbol of sin. It was meant to teach us, get the sin out of your life. Do, do, do an audit of your life and figure out what's in your life that God's saying, let go of son, let go of daughter. It's time to move on. It's another wave of transformation, right? Clean out the old leaven. That's all about Passover. That's what you do during the week of Passover. So that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. This is our season of freedom. This is another season of transformation. Where you were at last year, you cannot stay at. It's time to move forward once again. This is the season that we're in. What are you desiring to be free of? I want you to think of that. Do you struggle with fear? You know, fear is a bad deal. Fear is not of God. In fact, fear is rooted in sin. Fear will lead you into sin. If you make decisions based on fear, your life will be riddled with unhappiness and misery. You want to be free of fear? Write that out this 50 days. Cry out to God. Say, God, deliver me from the spirit of fear. What about greed? You know, you just got to have everything. It drives you. It rides you. It oversees you and overtakes you. Yeah, write that down. Or maybe you struggle with envy. Maybe you're caught up in jealousy. What about porn and all the related immorality that just grabs hold of you and holds on to you? Are you robbing and thieving God by withholding the tithe? That makes you a thief, a robber. Do you want to get free of that? You know, you know why we withhold the tithe from our local communities? Because we're afraid we won't have enough. Fear. We don't trust that God's going to provide for us. You see, there's all kinds of things that are holding us back. And this season that we're in is the season of getting free from those things. So what is it that you need freedom from? Write it out. Cry out to God. He is our deliverer. He will deliver us. He will deliver you. 
goes on to say in verse 7, for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. The term Pesach, we translate that in English, Passover, that term is directly referred to the lamb that's slain. The lamb that's chosen to be slain is called the Pesach. That's what it's called. It's called the Pesach. It's in reference to the lamb that's chosen to be slain. It says here that Jesus is our Passover sacrifice. He's the lamb of God that he chose to slay. Jesus is the Pesach lamb. He is our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed so that we could escape the wrath of God, be forgiven, and brought into a proper relationship with the one true and living God. Verse 8, therefore, let us celebrate the feast. Paul now just makes it super clear. He's talking about the festival of Passover. He's clued us in. He says, let's celebrate it. Let's get out the old leaven. Let's become unleavened like the Messiah. After all, he's the one that was sacrificed for us. We're born again. We're a new creation. Let's come out of our Egypts of sin and shame. Let's get into this deliverance and transformation, this work of the Spirit to change us. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast in reference to the week of Passover, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. There it is. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the great liberator, telling us to keep the festival of Passover. That's a mic drop when you think about it. Keeping the week of Passover includes the four appointed sacred times. Passover itself on Nisan the 14th. Unleavened bread, it's seven days long. The first and the seventh day are holy days. And within the week is first fruits, which marks the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. And within that, the counting of the Omer. Fifty days until Pentecost. This is specifically the context of the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians and his admonition for us to keep the festival of Passover. Well, I'm not under the law. That is the Apostle you're quoting. He's telling you to keep the Passover. It's a memorial to the great deliverance that our ancestors experienced and that we experience in Jesus. That's why this festival is important. It's about Jesus and his glory. Now, the week of Passover just ended yesterday, but we're counting to Pentecost, marching forward out of Egypt towards the promised land. This year is new. God said, I'm going to give you a new calendar I'm going to change the start of the year. Here's the new start, Nisan. This is when the cycle of redemption starts. This is when Passover hits. This will be a new month beginning your new year. And of course, it happens in springtime. The time of life coming out of the deadness of winter. What better time to start your new year? 
I don't know who came up with January 1st. Man, I'll tell you what, what a wet blanket that is. Hey, let's start the new year in the deadness of winter. Rejoice. Nah, I think springtime is the best time to start. And its focus, of course, is the new life that we have through the death and resurrection of the Messiah. So we have this counting of the Omer that we do. All that we do, all these types of shadows, all these symbols, all this ritual that we do is a reminder continually of the great cost of redemption, the love of God for us that finds its fulfillment in Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus, our Christ. It's amazing in every way. That's why it's so important. We will never give it up. It is the glory of the Son of God. So let's read about it. Leviticus 23, 15 through 21. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. So in the week of Passover, the day after the Sabbath, being Sunday, is the day that we wave the sheaf offering, and this begins the count of 50 days or seven complete Sabbaths, 49 days, seven weeks, or 50 days, to Pentecost. Verse 16, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, which would also be Sunday, of course. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Now, the Christian church, even though it disengaged from the Jewish people and the Torah as a way of life, they kept parts of it, and then they added a bunch of other stuff. But one of the things they kept was this celebration called Pentecost. And actually, Acts chapter 2 becomes that core passage that's so important to the church, right? But what the church fails to understand is that's not the beginning of the church. That's not when the church began. The church began earlier at the first Pentecost. There was an earlier Pentecost that was great. 1,500 years earlier, under Moses, the church was birthed. That, that's what it says in Acts chapter 7. The church in the wilderness under Moses, that's where it all began. Israel is the church. And we move from that first Pentecost all the way 1,500 years later until Israel finally responds in the new covenant, reconstituted under Messiah, and God pours out his spirit. And we have the second and greater Pentecost. So important for us to grasp this. The church recognized it, marked it, and celebrates it. It's the high church that does it. Most of the Protestant churches don't, but um, the high church did. And they called it Pentecost, fill in the blank, Pentecost. You're all Protestants, huh? No high church, former high church people here? Pentecost Sunday, yeah, major holiday within the high churches. So Pentecost Sunday, yeah, because it always falls on, falls on a Sunday, which is great because it marks also the resurrection of Jesus, which fell on what day? The first day of the week, corresponding to our Sunday. So that is a little bit of the backdrop to why we do the 50-day count and end up on a Sunday. Start on a Sunday, end on a Sunday. Okay, so let's talk about the journey from slavery to freedom. This journey from slavery 
to freedom begins with trusting God for our deliverance. We don't deliver ourselves. We don't deliver ourselves. It's his work. No one saves themselves. You know, it's, it's clear in the scriptures that we were lost in our sin and shame. All of us like sheep going astray down our own paths, our own proclivity to sin and shame. Yeah, no one was looking for Messiah. Messiah came looking for us, and he found us. This is his work. He came and delivered them. They're in Egypt under the bondage of the Pharaoh and the taskmasters. They were so discouraged, they had forgotten all that God had promised to them. Moses showed up. They were totally surprised. Moses gives them the message, and it says they were so despondent, they couldn't even believe. Yeah. They weren't looking for God. They lost hope. They were in darkness. God sent a deliverer. God came to them. God says, by my grace and for the sake of your forefathers, I'm going to deliver you from Pharaoh. Our job in transformation is to not do that through our own strength. It won't work. You cannot deliver yourself. Whatever you struggle with, you can, with all your energy and strength and intellect, you're not going to free yourself. It's a spiritual dynamic. God's going to do that through his grace and by his power. Our job, we're just to trust him for our deliverance. We're just to say, God, help me. I'm stuck and I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed. Deliver me. Don't just forgive me. Don't just cleanse me. Get me out of it. Right? He saved them in Egypt by the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. Not to leave them there. He said, I'm taking you out. And I'm going to give you a good land flown with milk and honey. And I'm going to bless you day in and day out. Deliverance comes from God. Whatever you're struggling with, I know what it's like, and I know you're saying, you know what, I can't find a way out. Like a dog that returns to its own vomit, I find myself back in vomit land. Yeah, that's right. Don't worry about that. You bring that before the Father and say, Father, deliver me. You get me out of here. God will do that. You cry out and keep that before the Father, and the Father will deliver you. That's his promise. He'll do it. He'll make a way for you. Let's read about this. Exodus 13, 17 uh, through 21. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, for God said that people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. I mean, I, Joseph dies in Egypt, and he's saying, God's going to deliver you from this house of bondage, and when you go, get my bones. Don't leave me behind, yeah. 
even though I'm dead and I'm no longer in this place, gather my physical bones and take them with you. Joseph knew, when I rise, I don't want to rise in Egypt. I'm going to rise in the promised land with my kids and my grandkids, right? We should never settle for Egypt. We should never settle and say, oh, you know, I'll, this, is, this is who I am. This is, you know, it'll never change. You should never settle for that. You're called to freedom, not slavery. Then they set out to Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going on before them in a pillar, pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God is going to take you and lead you. He's going to go before you and behind you, above you and beside you, all throughout this journey that you're on. He never leaves us. Now the Lord spoke to Moses Chapter 14, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihaaroth, be between Magdol and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the sons of Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the land, in the wilderness, and it has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. If you remember the story, it opens up with Israel flourishing even in Egypt, and the Pharaoh saying, we're in trouble. They're becoming more numerous than us. And if we're attacked by outside nations, they might join the nations and overthrow us. So we're going to have to do something about that. So first he started to try to eliminate the, the, the children that were being born. And the midwives, of course, were lying about, you know, uh, why they weren't doing what they were doing. But ultimately, uh, Pharaoh was basically saying, drown them in the Nile. Take their firstborn and drown them in the Nile. God says, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh, Israel's my firstborn child. Why are you throwing them in the Nile? You're killing my child. Stop it, or I'm going to kill yours. My dad's bigger than your dad. In the end, he drowns the strongest of the men in the waters of the Reed Sea. Just like Pharaoh was doing at the beginning of the story. This is our God. God loves you so much. No one's going to touch on you and get away with No one. They don't get away with anything. He loves you. When Jesus returns, you know what he says? I'm returning to deal out retribution on everyone who rejected me and touched on my bride. God is a jealous God. He loves us. He's watching over us. Everything's going to be okay. This brings us to the next point. The enemy never gives up 
without a fight. The enemy will never give you up without a fight. The enemy is a task master. You're his slave. He's not going to give you up. He views you as his property. Exodus 14.5 When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh had his servants and his servants had a change of heart toward the people and they said, What is this that we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. What were we thinking? They're the ones that made us wealthy. They're our slaves. Let's go get them. So he made his chariot ready and took his people with him, and he took 600 select chariots. Those were tanks in their day. He took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Verse 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Deliverance is incremental. And as you find your way out, you will be attacked on your way out because the enemy doesn't want to let you go. It's a war and it's about your soul. And it's time to rise up and fight. Don't cave in to the fear. You're not called to be a slave. You fight for your freedom. It doesn't matter if it's five steps forward and three steps backwards. It's a net gain of two steps. And over a period of time, you'll walk out of your bondages. Now, testings are a way of life for those who are being transformed. God allows all of this in the form of tests so that we can learn to trust him because it's in that trust that faith arises and it's faith that overcomes the world. So how do we get there? God has to allow things to happen, giving us opportunities to trust him so that when he comes through for us, our faith rises up. And then we get to that faith place finally where we're able to become overcomers in our lives and begin to help others around us. So let's look at some of these tests. Exodus 14:10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold the Egyptians Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. If you remember the story, they are just cornered by this advancing army. The landscape was such that they had no way out and the sea is behind them. They are hemmed in. God designed it that way. He told them to camp at that location. He was bringing Pharaoh and his army. God's orchestrating this. Why would God do that, right? Because God wants to demonstrate his great love for his people. So God sets up the tests so that we can learn to trust him. First Peter puts it this way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. God is going to test you and me over and over and over because it's in the testing that our faith grows. 
He's raising us up. Yeah, you know, when I was fighting professionally, uh, our, our, you know, our fight manager, the one that managed our contracts and, and, and oversaw the whole uh, um, fight school, he always made sure that whoever you would fight, you, would, you were always a little bit better. He, he always, you know, reviewed all the tapes and picked fighters that you could beat. So that as you fought and won, you got better and better and your courage grew, your, you know, your confidence. He never gave us anyone that would overwhelm us. It's the same with God. God is always going to give you challenges that are not going to overtake you, but they're going to be intimidating. They're going to be that challenge and that test that you're going to have to rise up and blow through and you will and your faith will grow. Peter says, don't be surprised that you're going through some kind of hard time. That's what God does. That's what's going to make you a better person. The three, the three prior testings right before they got here and right after that is you got Mara, uh, Mara the need for water, and they don't have any water, and it's, it's God. God is behind the whole thing. And instead of trusting God to provide for them the basic need for water, they complain and murmur and fail the test. They even come to this body of water. It's hilarious. Water. They, you know, they think God has answered our prayer. Water. And it's bitter. And some of them die from drinking it. They're so thirsty. It was just poisoned water. You know, it's like, why? Why well, was bad enough that we didn't have any water? And then you give us water that kills us. What, what kind of God are you? They're just murmuring, complaining. And of course, God gives the answer. They throw the tree in the tree, the tree of life, right? That's what it represents. And the waters change and they're able to drink them. God meets their need, but there was a test first. And then the Shabbat and the need for food. He says, you know what? I'm going to give you food every day. You go out and collect it. It just comes by my hand from the heavens. What's it called? No, that's what manna means in Hebrew. What's it called? Thank you, though. What is that? So he gives them that, and he says, you know, six days, but on the seventh day, don't go out. You'll have twice as much on the sixth day. Do they trust him? No, some of them still go out. And they gathered on the Sabbath. And what happened to what they gathered? Turned to worms by morning. Nasty, nasty. Okay, failed the test. Sinai. That's their next big test. The need for a relationship with God. Identity, mission, and purpose. Will they pass the test? We'll see. Tests help us to perfect our faith and trust in God. I want to, I want to give you a, a, one of the ways God tested me. I've had hundreds of tests. You've had hundreds of tests. It's the nature of God to raise us up. I'm going to give you one example of this. Okay. This is, this is 40 years ago. I mean, a long time ago, 35 years ago. I don't know. It was really a long time ago. I had my first car, 1954 Chevy pickup. Oh Yeah sweetness okay so had my chevy and um i was working at king supers and we had this mega blizzard and everyone got snowed in um and the the ride that was supposed to give this family a ride home uh couldn't get there because of the snow i was just getting off work i just felt like you know what i need to take this family home so i said hey i'm off work i can take you home they said great so they got in my truck, we threw all the groceries in the back, and I got in my 54 Chevy, and it was, it was not just regular, it was kind of like, you know, you know, we kind of, yeah, we, 
we did our own modifications and I had bigger tires on it. And so it did really well in the snow. So there I was off and running with this family. So I'm feeling really good. Look at me in my righteous deed, helping people in need. I was feeling so good about doing a good work, you know, and they tried to pay me when we got home. I took all their groceries and I said, no, 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 forget that. Praise God. He's good to me. You know, I just want to do that. And just thank God for that. And we had a great time. We fellowship a little bit. I got in my truck and I'm driving home and I'm feeling so proud of myself. My gosh, I had, I'm just beaming, you know. And so I came down the alley to come around to the front of my house where I was going to park. And as I was coming down the alley, it was such a drift that I blew into it and I got stuck. And I thought, no way. I'm like one, one house away from where my house is, stuck in this alley, you know? So I'm going back and forth, back and forth, and I'm just, I'm just stuck. I was so mad, and I thought, unbelievable. So I got out, climbed the fence, got a shovel. I have my fences locked, another story. Anyway, climbed my six-foot fence, ornamental iron on the top of it, got my shovel. I'm digging, 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 getting in, moving it, digging, 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 back and forth, and digging other tires out. I was trying to figure out the tire that had traction. This is before you had all-wheel drive or any of those sensors or anything, right? So I, I'm, I'm just trying to go. I'm the only one, though, so I can't tell which tire is actually spinning when I'm in the truck. I have to kind of guess. And So, I mean, I'm out there, you know, for an hour in a blizzard. I'm cold now. I'm wet because I'm sweaty and it's a blizzard. I'm just miserable. I'm saying, God, what is going on? You know, I do this good deed. Now I'm stuck in the snow. I could use a little help, you know, do, do a miracle here. You know, I got to get my truck out in front of the house. I don't want to leave it in the alley, you know? So, uh, nothing happened. And, uh, I was exhausted and my wife came out and she said, what are you doing? You know, it's like a blizzard, you know, you're not digging out of that. And uh, she says, just leave the truck, come inside. It was dark. It finally got dark. She says, just come inside. The truck will be fine. It's right in the back. And you can come out tomorrow morning when the storm has passed and the sun is up and you can dig your truck out. Now, now here's the deal. It was God speaking to me through my wife. It was God saying, son, just leave it alone. Trust me. I got this. Everything's going to be okay. No, I was so stubborn. I said, no, no, I'll get it out. I'll dig it out. You know, she begged, come on, get in the house. This is ridiculous. I said, go away, woman. I'm a man. I'm going to dig my way out. Yeah, so I labored out there. Truck's idling. I'm getting back in, spinning wheels, digging some more, going a little bit here, going a little bit there. Another hour passed. I got into my murmuring, complaining mode. Things are not going well, and I'm having this little talk with God that was not reverent. And I opened the door, I stepped out of the truck on my little runner, and I slipped and I fell, and I knocked the wind completely out of myself. The way I got out was such that when I fell, I fell forward and I banged on the runner, and I'm just laying there, half in the snow, halfway in the truck, no wind, no wind. And I'm staring. I'm just staring. My eyes are straight forward. I'm staring. And as I'm looking, I'm looking at my emergency brake. I had it on the whole time. That's why I couldn't ever get anywhere. 
I saw that. I saw that. It was like God just dropped me in such a way that made me look at it so I could see it. I changed my heart immediately. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I was so excited. I was so excited. I was so thankful. I thought, oh, he's so good. I get in my car. I pull the emergency brake. I go to put the gas on, and the engine dies out of gas. It ran out of gas. And I said, that's evil. You are tormenting me. You are against me and not for me. Why? I did this good deed. I helped these people. And you orchestrated this in such a way that it's a torment of my soul. So I got out. There's no way I could get the truck. I realized my wife is right. It was God. I'm going inside. I climbed the fence to go inside. I got to the top of the fence, I throw over, and the ornamental iron grabbed my nice winter coat, rips it all the way open as I lose my balance and fall flat on my back, knocks the wind out of me again. Huh! I'm just laying there on my back, and I got my fluffies out because it's a down coat. Like someone shot me, you know. And I'm laying on my back, and I'm like, really? Really? You know, how much more? You know, it's horrible. That was a test. And I failed. The grace of God is simply this. No one fails the test. You just get to retake it later. And many more tests would come. And I would learn through these tests in life to trust God that everything's going to be okay not to get worked up, not to get in fear, but to know that in the hardships and the trials, God is with you. He will see you through. Don't lose faith. Don't murmur. Don't complain. Hold on. Your deliverance is coming. It's okay. You can laugh at those things because your deliverance is coming. As smart as I am, and I'm smart. As strong as I was, and I was. I could not deliver myself from the alley. I had to wait and trust in the Lord. And I waited. And the next day the sun came up. And it melted the snow halfway through the day. And I got gas, got in my car, and drove it around to the front. God has a plan and a timing for your deliverance. Trust in him. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Faith is what gives you approval from God. Not murmuring, not complaining, not focusing on your circumstances, but trusting God in what he's saying. Praising him in the, in the hard times. Oh, it's easy to praise him when things are going great. But what about the tough times? That's where you get to see how deep your faith actually is. And if you can praise him and trust him, you'll gain his approval. Verse 6, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God is for you. The devil's a liar. When, you, when, you, when you're thinking, yeah, I think God's against me, that's the lie of the devil. He's not against you. He's for you. He's going to help you. He's going to deliver you. What is it that you're facing? Call out to him. He loves you. Believe in your heart that he will deliver you and he will reward you for that faith. It's a test. Just hold on. Back to the story. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Instead of trusting God, they're murmuring and complaining. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. No trust, no faith. They're looking at their circumstances. The army's coming. The sea is behind them. They're hemmed in. We're going to die. That's sight. That's called living by sight. Faith says, no, we're not going to die. God is for us, not against us. He has a plan. We don't know what it is but we will trust in our God. But Moses said to the people, verse 13, do not fear. That's slide 39. Do not fear. There we go. Fear is the enemy of your faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the anointing of the evil one. Love is the anointing of God. And faith is perfected in love. Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. They are hemmed in. Looks like they're going to die. God says, fear not. I am with you. I'm going to deliver you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to deliver yourself. Trust in me. I will deliver you. Be quiet. Don't talk. No talky-talky. Because it's just murmuring and complaining, and you'll make me mad, and then I'll let them drop you into the sea, right? No, God's saying, you know what? Just be quiet. Hold on. Trust me. Watch and see what I will do. And your faith will soar so that you can overcome the mountains in your future. So in summary and conclusion, are you struggling in some kind of problem that you cannot find freedom from? Cry out to God. Tell him about it. Dialogue with him. And then cultivate trust and faith. Choose to believe. It's a choice. Choose to believe that he is for you and not against you. Choose to believe that he will deliver and reward you for trusting in him. And then learn to wait on him. Wait on what he will do for you. His answers and breakthroughs will come if you wait on him. If you don't and try to fix it yourself, you'll be in a worse place than when you started. 
Tool Time Tim. Remember him? That was me for years, by the way. Whatever was a problem in our house that needed to be fixed, by the time I was done, and it took a long time always, it was worse than when I started, whether it was plumbing or the AC. Oh my gosh, keep me away from any home projects. Now I'm a lot better nowadays. But when it comes to deliverance, God is saying, listen, trust in me. I will give you the breakthroughs. If you try to do it in your own strength, you're just going to mess it up. Transformation comes from the Lord. He is the transformer. And transformation is a process. It comes incrementally. So learn to count the days. Learn to count the seasons. I will leave you with the word of the Lord. This is Paul to Timothy. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Saved by grace, sanctified by grace, glorified by grace. It's his work of salvation. Our job is to trust and believe and line up our actions with our faith. So get your calendars, write down what you want to be free of, cry out to God and count your way as you watch God transform your lives by faith. It's his work. It's his will. God is transforming us, our families. We are his bride. He loves us very much. Shabbat Shalom.